All right. Good morning. You're going to turn me down a little, Matt. <clears throat> Welcome in the building. Welcome in the cars. Welcome in the internet. Welcome anywhere you are. I just did that on the, the I'm really impressed with myself right now. <laughs> Dr. Seuss coming out of me in some way. Well, welcome. We're glad you're here to join us today as we continue talking about the kingdom of God. Specifically, we're going to get in today how it is that we enter into this kingdom and live from its power and its resources. So that'll be an ongoing discussion, of course. Um, any of you people in the car, we are glad you are here with us. And I know it's a little bit different not being able to see the slides, and there's going to be slides this morning. Uh, that kind of make things make more sense. I think you'll follow the gist of it. But if anyone ever wants a copy of these slides, just let me know, and uh, I make those available to you. Uh, of course, you're in the auditorium here. Feel free to snap pictures or whatever if you find it helpful. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> Again, some of the material I'm going to be sharing in these next weeks teaching of my friend uh, Dallas Willard, and I found it most helpful exploring what the scriptures teach us about the kingdom of God. And so I want to begin this morning by, <clears throat> excuse me, talking about the Bible. And I feel a burden to do that because sometimes the scriptures are under attack or we just put them along other kind of pleasant sayings or ethical teachings, uh, just like we would set the Bible beside uh, the Book of Mormon or a Gita or the Quran, uh, but they're not equivalent, and the Lord has a hand on the Scriptures in such a way that they are a trustworthy and reliable guide for you to know about God, to know about what God wants to know about how God wants to help you. You see, the Bible is not a book of fairy tales. It's not a book of magic or incantations. I will assert that I believe the Bible was written by thoughtful and intelligent people who basically knew what they were talking about. And we need to say that from time to time. And the Holy Spirit guided the process where the, the Scriptures come together in such a way that they are completely reliable, 100%, for understanding God and His interactions with His creatures throughout human history. And that even includes you and I as individuals here today. The people that wrote the Bible were real people living in real circumstances. And they found out something. They learned certain things. Oftentimes, they learn these things against their will. They found out things about God and what He's like and what He desires. You see, the people involved in writing the Bible, those people, they suffered a lot, and they learned a lot through their suffering. And 
The Bible is an absolute reliable guide to anyone who really desires to know the truth. And I feel like I have to say that from time to time to affirm that. Because as our culture gets darker and sin is more entrenched and sinful things and shameful things, they're more normalized and enshrined and worshipped in our culture. People find themselves more and more at odds with what the Scriptures describe as the meaning of life and who is a good person. See, the Bible works for us as a mirror, and that mirror shows us things about ourselves. When I look in the mirror, sometimes I see things I don't like. It's part of getting older. But the Bible works that way too, as a mirror for your heart. And it'll show you things you don't like sometimes. And it shows you things that are difficult to understand. Uh, You can come with pride if you want and just use the Bible to uh, affirm uh, your position so that you can beat others up with it. You'll miss a lot of the power. Uh, There was a saying among the medievals that said, uh, basically, a jackass doesn't look into a mirror and see an apostle staring back. The Bible will show you the condition of your heart. But when you come to the Bible, you need to come with it, with a spirit of openness and open-handedness, with your best critical faculties, and you have to honestly seek the answers. And you have to honestly go after it. You see, God, he's not, God is not nervous about our questions. The Bible can take care of itself, I believe. And you don't come to the Bible just to prove your assumptions and to affirm your prejudices. But if you come to the Bible in an open and honest and thorough way, and I would say with a repentant spirit and a teachable spirit. And if you come with a prayer even to the Scriptures and say, show me, God, where I need to repent. Show me, God, what I need to learn. A heart that is willing to be taught, a heart that is willing to repent, the promise of the Bible is that you will find the truth that is what Jesus taught. And when we find the truth and we submit to the truth and we obey the truth, we begin at that point to step into the reality of the kingdom of God, the reality of His reign over our hearts and our lives. So trust the Bible, study the Bible, bring your thinking cap, bring your questions, and come as a truth seeker, and you will find it is the promise. But now as we continue in these teachings of the kingdom of God, uh, with the spirit of a student and with the spirit of repentance, uh, keep in mind, you know, you've got to find what you're going to trust. And you've got to stand someplace. How many things do you have in this world that you can rely on completely? 
Who are the people that you rely on completely? What are the things you rely on completely? I, I mean, I rely on my mom and dad still, but someday they won't be there for me. See, there's something unique in what God gives us in His Word. And you've got to stand someplace. And the way the Bible works is you don't pick and choose a few nice little sayings to crochet on a pillow. You go after it with all you got because it's all that or it's nothing. After John was put in prison, John the Baptist is referring to there. This is from Mark 1, 14 and 15. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. And this was Jesus' message. Basically, that the rule of God in human life is now available to everybody. It's open. We are taking applicants. Come, if you will. Stand in this reality. Stand in this reign. This is your opportunity now. Everything in the Old Testament looked forward to this coming kingdom of God. You ever think about the Old Testament message? It kind of just ends, and it, it's incomplete, and it's waiting for fulfillment. And now Jesus announces this kingdom that you've been waiting for. It has drawn nigh. It is at hand. It is finally happening. So reconsider your strategy for life in light of this new fact. And this hasn't always been a fact, but now it is a fact that the kingdom of God, it is available to you. See, Jesus was not announcing someday after you die, you get to go to heaven kind of thing. His preaching was that in this very moment, if you will choose it, you can live under the rule of heaven. The best way to translate the kingdom of God is at hand is to say it is now available. And I don't usually bother with things like grammar uh, because I'm not as good at it, but uh, in Greek, that at hand, it is in the perfect indicative a perfect indicative expresses the present result of a past action. That's, that is to say, something has happened. It started, and now it is continuing in force. It's not a one-time thing. It is ongoing. That was Jesus' announcement. And I'm pushing that with a little bit of emphasis because... A lot of times we have bad ideas about the kingdom of God, even as Christians. Even among Christians, we kind of have this, maybe someday after we die, you get to go to heaven kind of attitude. And we don't realize what's available to us right now. And we don't live all in right now. Uh, 
See, a common attitude is that Jesus tried to start something real good with the kingdom of God. Uh, but it didn't quite make it. Uh, they killed him first. He was trying to start something real good, and then maybe at some future date, God will return with additional troops, so to speak. And uh, he'll come with atomic cattle prods and set us straight. And then everyone will say, okay, okay, if you're going to be that way about it. Have you ever seen a, a big swan trying to take off from a lake? Like the really big swans. And they get in there and they... I'm up on the podium flapping my arms. And they get a run at it. They decide they want to take off and they get going. And it's all this noise and energy and clatter. And oftentimes, they just kind of give up and sink back down into the water. Let me say in no uncertain terms, that is not the reality of the kingdom of God. Jesus accomplished exactly what he intended to accomplish. And that kingdom and its availability, it continues to this day to move forward in force and accomplish the purposes for which it is intended. Okay. It's not some future thing that Jesus is going to come back and make it happen. It is happening now. The kingdom of heaven is now. Now, of course, I mean, there are further dimensions to that. We don't have the fullness of that yet. Uh, uh, we see in some ways in a mere dimly, and then we shall see face to face. I'm not denying there is that, uh, that aspect to it, but Use your creative imagination in the Lord. There is so much available to us now in this moment if you will but choose it and trust it. Not later. Not if someone lets you. Not if you're approved of by the right people. Jesus' message is this. All you have to do is to turn into it. Turn and walk right in. So a couple weeks ago, we looked at Matthew's passages that had, of this announcement, and we find this gospel announcement of the availability of the kingdom of God, and we noted Matthew 3, 2 and 4, 17, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So that message was the exact same message between John the Baptist and then Jesus. And so there were, these guys were connected. Uh, some people will even speculate and think maybe John the Baptist was in some ways Jesus' rabbi. They worked this message and these things out together. I don't know about that. It's an interesting thought. But what we do know from the Scriptures, we don't have any history of these extensive interactions of these guys growing up, but we know that they were cousins and you can't imagine John's mother, Elizabeth, and Jesus' mother, Mary, after the introduction that they had together, that they would keep these two young men apart. 
think these, they would have done everything they could to get these guys together. Uh, after the introduction to one another described in Luke chapter 1. So John the Baptist comes. He has this announcement of the availability of the kingdom of God and a very special role because he announced in a way that the one coming after me, I'm not even fit to untie his sandals. And he is the one who is going to make it happen. But repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So he got to announce the Messiah. He got to baptize Jesus. And John was the first prophet born in Israel in several hundred years. And he was recognized as such, as a prophet of the people. And then Jesus, after he was baptized, Jesus, after he uh, was tested in the wilderness when he was tempted, and he really was tempted, Jesus begins to teach, reconsider your strategy for life. Because now you have an opportunity that never existed before. And it's the greatest opportunity you will ever have. And it's the greatest opportunity you or I will ever have, even this day. And then Jesus tells his disciples to teach a message like this as well. As you go preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near, it's available. So the same message of John the Baptist is the same message of Jesus is the same message of Jesus' disciples that follow after him, the availability of this kingdom of God. And this message of the available kingdom comes to us in all of our messes in life, all of our mistakes, all of our difficult circumstances that we can't fix, all of our restlessness, all of our boredom, all of our anxieties, all of our worries. And this kingdom offers us freedom from all of those things. Jesus' invitation is to live under the rule of heaven and to embrace it. And when you do, it sets us on a journey that progressively sets us free from every fear that we previously had. And it empowers us to become like Jesus. And it empowers us to become the people God created us to be. Have you become the person God created you to be? In goodness, in faithfulness, in the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Have you become that person? Stepping into the reign of God and His kingdom, we have the resources where more and more and more that becomes a reality for us. But the kingdom of God, it doesn't come to us as coercion. I'm not a used car salesman trying to convince you of a good deal. I'm not a peddler of the word of God. I don't know what you think my role is as your preacher. I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to announce what Jesus gave me to announce. That in your life right now, you can live in the power of the Holy Spirit and under the reign of God. And you can progressively more and more step into the reign of God in your life, even right now.
But the kingdom that comes is an invitation and an opportunity. But it is a continual choice and it is continual commitment. But he doesn't force his kingdom on us. And so most people in this world will miss the kingdom of God completely. It is a hidden kingdom in many ways. Even most Christians don't know the power and reality because we don't seek it with our heart, our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. Typically, we seek the kingdom of God with some of our heart and some of our mind and some of our soul and some of our strength. And we get some of the fruit in fits and spurts, but we don't experience the fullness of it. It's not because God is not willing to give it to us. It's because we don't choose it. But if you want kingdom results in your life, if you want kingdom power in your life, then you need to make kingdom choices. And the people in human history who have discovered the kingdom of God breaking into their life in power to change and fix their circumstances... They are the people who have gone after it with all they got. They live their life in such a way that Jesus Christ is their one and only thing. And if he doesn't show up, my goose is cooked. It's like the story of blind Bartimaeus from Matthew 10, 46. This blind guy, I think he was in Jericho, this beggar, he hears that Jesus is coming that way. And he cries out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And do you remember what happens after there, after that? They shush him. Shh! You've been shushed in church? Shh! Do everything peaceably and quietly in order. And what does he do? He cries out even louder, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. That's the way you go after the kingdom of God. And what does he do? He throws his cloak aside and he comes. You ever think that's kind of risky for a blind guy to throw your cloak aside on the ground and walk away from it? His boldness, his determination, his chutzpah. He finds power to heal his blindness. Or the story of the woman who had a flow of blood. For 12 years, it says, she'd suffered at the hands of doctors. And she has this kind of kingdom thought. If I can just touch his clothes, I will be healed. You see how God responds to that kind of faith. You know that story. And in her boldness, she finds healing. It's faith like that that makes the power of the kingdom of God begin to flow in our lives. So how do you get into the kingdom of heaven? Uh, I got three more points, so there's going to be six points total, and then we're done. First, you trust the Bible. Come to the Word of God with a teachable spirit 
and with a willingness to repent. You will be shown things, and you will learn things. Not everything is going to be comfortable. Not everything will be easy. And you have to choose it. You have to deal with Jesus' exclusivity. That he, he doesn't want to share His reign with anyone else. He's not just one more religious belief. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And He says, no one comes to the Father except through Me. And Acts tells us there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus. Jesus. And then you've got to go after it with all you've got. You can't be wishy-washy about it. Oh, maybe try it. But we all kind of do this progressively. I get that. But we can learn from our trust. And then our trust, our faith can grow. Faith and trust are the same thing. Uh, so we'll look at Luke 9:62 for that. And then uh, the way you get into the kingdom of heaven, you have to have righteousness beyond that of the scribes and Pharisees. Works-based checklist righteousness. It's not enough. It's not enough. Luke 9.62 says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And Matthew 5.20 says, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. These are guys who went after this with everything they had in their life. And yet there was something missing. See, the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, it dealt with external action. And if as long as you're willing to just keep your axe at, I've done the right thing, I've checked off the list, and I've... It's not enough, Jesus says. He wants nothing short of your heart. And so the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, it is a righteousness that will tithe even down to your herbs. It is a righteousness that's like a beautiful whitewashed tomb, but we know what's inside it. The righteousness that is like a cup that is just sparkling clean on the outside, but the inside is full of filthy, gross things. As long as you're willing to keep your righteousness at that level, you will never touch the power of the kingdom of heaven. Because the kingdom of heaven is a reality of not what's on the outside, but what is on the inside. What is in your heart? That is what the kingdom of heaven comes down to. And when you turn your heart over, your heart is your basic thoughts, your motivations. When you surrender your heart to the kingdom, it's at that point that you begin to make contact with it and its power. Another way Jesus taught us how to enter into the kingdom, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, what's he talking about? You know, one of the reasons why we love children 
is that they haven't learned how to mask their emotions yet. Have you noticed that? They're fierce and free in spirit. They haven't learned yet to pretend to be happy when they're not. And they haven't learned yet how to not wiggle with excitement when they're really joyful and happy about something. As we grow older and grow more cynical, we learn how to mask our emotions and hide them. The children, their spirit is still fierce and wild and free. When I was chasing Ian Heater around the auditorium earlier, he could not contain his joy. Uh, I can, uh, I've seen uh, the Sheeler kids come in Denise's office. I tell you, when those kids aren't happy about something, you're not left to guess about it. Children ask for what they want, don't they? And they're not losing sleep, typically, worrying about whether or not mom and dad are going to take care of them. They know. They know who to go after and who to ask. And they will keep on asking until they get what they want. Unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, another one. So the, the point four, become like a little child to enter the kingdom of heaven. You're not willing to fake it for anyone. Simply asking, simply trusting. Another one he gives us from John chapter three. You must be born again. Born from above in water and the Spirit. And I think that's the beautiful allusion to what baptism is for us. We follow Jesus into the water. And we do our part. And God does His part. And the Holy Spirit is available to us as a gift. That's part of it too. And then... Uh, one of, I find one of the most chilling verses in Scripture. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twofold a child of hell as you are. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying to get in. Chilling. That if you keep your heart at the level of works righteousness, you can actually block and stand in the way of people entering into this kingdom. And I think that's this kind of gatekeeper mentality. No, you need to do things exactly like me. You need to think exactly like me. You need to dress exactly like me. You need to be exactly like me. And then maybe, maybe. But that's a definite maybe. See, there's, there are, there's people in this world and people will perceive me to be that person. And you gotta deal with the words I'm saying to you sometimes. But the way you get into the kingdom of heaven is that you won't take no for an answer. 
You won't take no for an answer. When it becomes, when it becomes a question of your faith in Jesus Christ, you don't let anyone get in the way of trusting Him as your Lord and Savior. And so that brings us to our sixth and final point this morning. From Luke 16, 16, it says, The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. Violent people have been raiding it. So what in the world is he talking about? Everyone forcing their way into it? I think it's this, this point number six. You're no longer, you see the kingdom of God for what it is, and you want it so much, you're no longer willing to stand on pretense or pretend or propriety You're not waiting for someone's permission. You're not here like, okay, Calvin, you haven't told me to do anything. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. No, it's the kind of heart like Bartimaeus has. You will not take no for an answer. And when you want it like that, that's when you begin to make contact. That's when the power begins to flow. When you're willing to give it all you have and you will not take no for an answer. So, Dad, you can come up now. That is our message.